Now please turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 5. We'll be reading only verse 11 as we read the whole entirety of the Ten Commandments before. So please turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 5. Starting and ending in verse 11. This is God's word. Please give it your full reverent attention. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. What is important in life? And how do we decide? What is trivial in life? And how do we decide? These are some of the most difficult questions anyone can ask and answer. Anyone, not only Christians. American orthodoxy, if such a thing exists, might be something like Southern Baptists at this point, has in the past given an answer to this question of what is important. The most important in Christianity. What is most important is called the most basic of Scripture's teachings. This is often represented by the so-called five fundamentals, as we have heard Jeremy speak of before in the Wednesday night class, as they are called. One, the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. Two, the deity of Jesus Christ. Three, the virgin birth of Christ for the substitutionary atoning work of Christ on the cross, and five, the physical resurrection and the personal bodily return of Christ to the earth. These are indeed all incredibly important. We all agree on those things. However, why are they important and what do they mean? And are they more important than other doctrines? The problem with what has been known as fundamentalism among other things, is that it arbitrarily decides for God what is important. It oversimplifies God's own priorities. Allow me to demonstrate. Where in these focused five, these so-called fundamentals of Christianity, what do they focus on? Is it upon the triune God? No, in fact, it only mentions Jesus Christ in all of the five tenets, ignoring the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Trinity of God, in fact, completely. Actually, in all of these five, the focus is not even upon Christ, in fact, but upon man and man's salvation. And Christ is only spoken of because of his accomplishments in man's salvation. Are we surprised that when man decides and considers what's important in all of Scripture, he puts himself and his own salvation as the most important thing. Distinct from this, ancient Christianity has always tried to hold what God held to be important, as we will see from Deuteronomy 5.11, as we are directed to do. That may well mean, then, that this third commandment is the characteristic Presbyterian commandment, not the second commandment or the fourth commandment, as is often assumed by others, For we are called by the third commandment to be scrupulous in our hearts, our minds, and our dealings with God in our everyday lives and on Sunday. We are to be earnestly living for God in the third commandment. The manner of our worship is earnestness coming from the third commandment. Everything that the Lord gives us is imbued with intense meaning. 
and our treatment of God's names and ordinances are with great fear and with great reverence. Far from being man-centered, we are called to center God in our lives as he truly is, to be God-centered and God-fearers first. Every book, every utterance of God is taken with the utmost importance, where we take what God considers important to be important. That is, the third commandment is all-encompassing and all-controlling, and one of the greatest reasons for the word and the words, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We're written it all, and squarely focuses our eyes upon the Lord and not man. This third commandment is very far from just being a bar against cussing, as it is often assumed by using God's name in such flippant phrases as, oh my God, or even just saying Jesus' name as if it were empty. It does mean this, that is, we ought not to use God's name in such a flippant manner in cussing, but it does not only mean this. It is operative in every moment of our lives. Having heard in the first commandment that we are to have God alone as our God, the only object of our worship, and heard in the second commandment that we are to worship him not by images or any method which we devise in our minds, but only his method, we are told in the third commandment the manner of our walking in all of God's ways and in God's world in the third commandment. Our attitude is not with irreverence and flippancy, but with reverence and earnestness. God says, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So let us speak about that name first, the name of God and its misuse. This giving of the name of God to Israel, I am who I am, Yahweh, in Exodus 3.14, is a gift He gives this name, his name, that the world might know him and truly represent him through this this word, I am who I am, Yahweh, according to creaturely capacity. God's name is an accurate representation of him to creatures. God and his name has done wondrous things. So Psalm 8 tells us of just like many Psalms, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Therefore, we ought to consider his name majestic, as God, who the name represents, is majestic in himself. In this verse, in verse 11, Deuteronomy 5, 11, God does something peculiar peculiar when expressing himself. God speaks for the first time in the Ten Commandments about himself in the third person. Here again, do not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. He does not say, as we might expect, do not take my name in vain. He does this to draw attention to Yahweh, the name, the special covenant name of God. This name is such a blessed revelation of God that it is not to be misused in any way. For the word vain means empty or false in this verse. Again, the third commandment is often oversimplified by the simple to mean do not cuss. That is truly a part of this commandment. Do not say God's name flippantly. But let us examine this aspect of the commandment for a moment as we will go on to others, this cussing aspect. This bar against flippant use of God's name in cussing was learned early by Israel in Leviticus 24 
When a man was caught in an altercation with another man, and during the fight, the man said the Lord's name in vain. And it was heard by others. And God said in judgment, in Leviticus 24, verses 14 through 16, Bring out of the camp the one who has cursed, and let all who heard him, and let all who heard him lay their hands on him, on his head, and let all the congregation stone him, and speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin, and whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. Everyone, the congregation, shall stone him. To take the name of God in vain by cursing is certainly a grave sin in God's eyes. It is, in fact, blasphemy and worthy of death. Cussing with God's name is blasphemy and a signal breaking of the third commandment. Yet why so severe a punishment as death? For this reason, just as one's own name is used to represent the entire person, that is, his body, soul, disposition, attributes, etc., so God's name is used to represent him. His name is not an image in the sense of the second commandment, but is still something that God graciously gave us to represent God, that we might know Yahweh better. Scripture is God's gift to man, that we might know his name, that is, know God, and what that name means. For Scripture, the name and what the name means or signifies are inseparable. To dishonor the name, as this man did, as we do in cussing with the name upon our lips, is to dishonor what and who the name means or signifies. So that if we lightly use God's name, we lightly use God himself and gravely sin. We have sinned an infinite sin, in fact, for it is against an infinite God and deserves an infinite punishment, death, an eternal death. Were it up to us, we may give a lighter sentence, in fact, for we are centered upon ourselves and our own goals, and around us we hear his name used flippantly all the time. But God does not let us decide what is empty or vain and trivial by these things. And this is more, a more basic understanding of the third commandment than cussing. There ought to be no lightness and flippancy when God is concerned When it comes to the things of God, there can be no vain thing. For that lightness and flippancy is what is meant, again, by the word vain here. The word, again, means empty. To take the name of God in vain might therefore be called the opposite of fearful earnestness. Fear knows something is full to such a degree that it surpasses us to a degree that we feel endangered. To know something is vain is to know something is empty to such a degree that we feel flippant about it. For example, an empty box may legitimately, flippantly be used and thrown about as we please. We need not fear it, for it is a vain and empty thing. But a box filled with candles and explosives, however, must not be flippantly used because to treat it in a vain manner would certainly mean our own destruction and the destruction of people around us. To treat something vainly is the opposite of treating something reverently and fearfully. To treat God's name vainly is to treat God's name fearlessly, when it ought to be treated fearfully. Therefore, this commandment tells us, do not be careless where God is concerned. If God calls it important, then it is important. 
Not because we decided it in the five fundamentals, but because God decided it was important. We do not ever come to Scripture fully formed, brothers and sisters. That is, our assumptions about what is important are often wrong. What goes under the title trivial for us and what goes under the title important for us need to be formed by Scripture. God's truth and not our assumptions. We might have considered that at one time the use of God's name to be a trivial matter. His name is abused daily by everyone around us until we come to Scripture, until we come to the third commandment. This is how our whole life ought to be changed. Decide to live in faith that what God says is important and truly is important, whatever you might think of the matter. Read your Bible reverently, brothers and sisters. Pray that you might change your assumptions and be more earnest and we be more earnestly in line with what the Lord calls important and glorious. Do not let our assumptions of triviality and importance rule over us, but let Scripture and His truth and the fear of God rule over us. This commandment is explicitly about that fear, the fear of God, in this manner of reverence, this attitude of reverence of the things of God. That is, the third commandment calls Christians to consider God's name in everything that he does to be more full of truth than anything that he holds dear. Anything that he holds dear. To fear God in the third commandment is to take God's word over other supposed wisdom. Taking his word and promises as more true, as we heard even this morning, even than his own experience. Yes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, says Proverbs 1. In fact, we are to consider our wisdom as empty in comparison with his fullness. So great is Yahweh and his, his name. Therefore, brothers, let us fear the Lord and not the world. There is much to fear in the world. It has even become something of a cottage industry in the United States to stir up, stir up fear. And this fear even has a great deal to do with reverencing names. As an example of this cultural sinful fear of names at work, the Babylon Bee, a satire news website, in March 2022, famously gave their first Man of the Year award to Richard Levine, who is now desiring to be called Rachel. So much of the world reverenced the supposed change of name that Twitter banned the Babylon Bee indefinitely for their violation of this societal fear. For six months, Babylon Bee was able to do business on Twitter because Twitter called them to repent of calling Richard's new feminine name, Rachel, merely an empty name as it truly is. Twitter and a mob of others called Bee to reverence Richard and his true name, Rachel, as he demanded to be called. After six months of refusing to repent of what ought to be not repented of on Babylon Bee's part, and six months of intolerance and unforgiving attitudes toward the Babylon Bee on Twitter's part, it was only Elon Musk buying the company that reinstated Babylon Bee to Twitter. They never repented, refusing to fear the reprisals of others, calling what is empty, empty, and what is full, full, what is black, black, and what is white, white. I tell you this story to show that the third commandment is recognized as utterly important and a central tenet of reference and reverence for the little gods of culture.
that we have created, who change their names and their pronouns at will. Unfortunately, we fear names. We fear human names because we sinfully fear people. Why do we not fear God enough to reverence his name, but we feel instantly and intensely fearful sometimes when people tell us to fear their names? We feel pressured to reverence these non-gods. The world tempts us to fear the Richard Levines, the Twitters, and the mobs and the scoffings of others who take upon themselves the mantle of God and demand we use their made-up names rather than the, the fearful and true name of God himself. The world teaches us not to take the names of these little gods in vain so that they might force us to take God's name in vain. But the third commandment teaches us rather to never take God's name in vain, even if every fearful power around us attempts us, attempts to make us fear them and reverence them as little gods when God alone is worthy of our fear. Fear God's name in all that he does. Do not fear man. Fear God. This is the general referent of this command that controls our lives. But this commandment has a specific referent too. We have discussed how it often exclusively is assumed to apply in cussing. And we have discussed how it controls our life in a reverent attitude towards God and the things of God. And how what God calls important in scripture, like his name, ought to change how we act. We ought to reverence and fear God's name by calling what is trivial, trivial, and calling what he calls important, important, rather than fearing men who set themselves up as false gods. However, let us examine one more use of this very full commandment this verse especially refers to in the use of God's name, the use of God's name in oaths. As we go second, the taking of God's name in oaths. Oaths are, as Doma well defines, swearing with appeal to God's name, uh, who serves as witness that a person is speaking the truth and intends to fulfill a vow. They are still a large part of our lives, in fact. Presidents are sworn in with the oath of office. We are sworn in with an oath of truthfulness in the court of law, etc. In Scripture, Boaz gave an oath to Ruth that he intended to marry her. In essence, saying, upon my oath, I will marry you in Ruth 3.13. And oaths are everywhere in Scripture. But this may sound strange to our ears to take oaths ourselves with God's name. However, Scripture tells us that we must take oaths. But when we take oaths, we must only be taken in God's name. So Isaiah 65.16, among other places, says, He will bless himself in the earth. Shall he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth, and he that swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. He that swears shall swear by the God of truth only. Oaths are a special kind of reverence, as we get from Isaiah sixty five sixteen, a special kind of worship of God in Scripture. In Matthew five and James five, we often hear a misunderstanding. We hear Jesus speak not against oaths, but against false oaths. I will read from this section. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. 
we know that this is a correction of practice, not an establishment of a new practice by never taking oaths, because God in places like Exodus 22:11 actually commands us to take an oath in the name of the Lord. And Paul takes two oaths in this manner in Romans 1:9 and 2 Corinthians 1:23. We must see that what Jesus is correcting is taking an oath by an attitude and in a bad attitude and by anything other than God's name, as by heaven or the like. And therefore, taking our oaths flippantly. If we are to take our oaths flippantly, Jesus tells us it would be better for us to not take an oath at all, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Therefore, oaths are to be taken, but only very solemnly, and in the Lord's name only. Today, how flippantly do we swear our oaths before the Lord? Do any of us remember the oaths that we took before God and before his church when we became members of this church? Did you take those oaths as if they were empty, as if they were a box to check at the end of an application, when they were spoken before God and his name by God's elders? Have we taken our marriage vows flippantly and wear our ring as an ornament? Have we forgotten that we, give, we gave an oath to place ourselves under God and his word to, quote, participate faithfully in the church and its worship, to submit in the Lord to its government, and to heed its discipline, even in case you should be found delinquent in doctrine or life? Did we take such oaths before God and the church with flippancy, and therefore incur the wrath of God in this third commandment? The OPC has not made these oaths an addition to Scripture. These are the demands of Scripture given to us in shorthand. But in our oaths, we call God himself to our witness that, one, we intend to fulfill our vows to God and the church, and two, we truly believe that this is all that Scripture contains. Do we take such oaths flippantly? Do we take God's name in vain in these things? If we are Christians, we have the name of Christ Jesus upon us as Christians. We have brought shame upon God's name by taking Christ's name in vain by our profession and by our actions if we have sinned against him. Have we done so with our oaths? Have we come to follow the Lord in an irreverent and thoughtless manner if following the Lord were a mere formality, as if, and when the Lord's day arrives, do we earnestly seek him in our fearful worship? Do we take Christ's name as Christians, little Christ, in vain? If so, repent of these things. Go and read your vows and remember all of your oaths before God and amend your ways in accordance with your oaths. And so reverence and fear God's name in accordance with the demand of your third commandment from God and glorify God in all the earth. Duly consider your oaths. Brothers and sisters, and earnestly follow them, for as Deuteronomy 5.11 solemnly warns, God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So let us go to that guilt of those who break the third commandment. Yes, the third commandment comes with an imprecation. God himself will avenge the misuse of his name. Although it seems like those around us get away with using his name in vain, There they are or will be judged by God, even if they are not judged by men. God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So great and awesome are these words. I am amazed that we do not tremble at them. How broad is God's commandment here? 
If we are not fearful and reverent in our behavior towards God, even as Christians, the only people who are able to keep this commandment are Christians, we have broken the third commandment. We are not reverent. And he says, the Lord will not hold him guiltless. How then can anyone be saved? Are we all guilty? Take comfort as we notice that this imprecation has the word him. The Lord will not hold him guiltless. This imprecation is indeed upon men, upon a man. As a record of debt mounts above him, this is the character of all sin. The Lord will not hold him guiltless. It is not only the third commandment. He will hold no one guiltless who takes sin against him. His name in vain is only one of those. By God's appointed means, by placing your guilt upon another man, whom God did not hold guiltless upon the cross for our sin. This he does for those who have faith in Jesus Christ and repent of their sins, so says Colossians. And you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. And do not miss these last glorious words, in him. Triumphing over them, in him. We take Jesus' name upon our lips nearly every time we pray. For it is only in Christ that we, Ephesians 3.12, have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him to our great God. So that we are not judged by our breaking the third commandment eternally. We are not judged by the law as a covenant of works, demanding complete and full and entire obedience to it. Who would be saved if this were the case upon our own righteousness, that the Lord would not hold him guiltless who took his name in vain? If this even applies to our very attitude of every action that we do, this imprecation shows that there must be a different way. It shows there must be a different way of salvation than through crawling up the ladder of our own righteousness. We must have one who never took God's name in vain as our substitute, who never took a flippant word upon his lips or even in his mind or in his attitude of his life and works, who always reverently feared God in his attitude, Jesus Christ the righteous. And upon this one was our salvation, so that Jesus Christ was not held guiltless of our sin upon the cross. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That we might be spotless like him, having his righteousness by faith, and he being punished for our guilt. That is, brothers, Scripture does not first focus upon what we do. Scripture first focuses on what we are. Our religion is not first about morality, even in the Ten Commandments. It never has been. Just as we spoke in the beginning, your religion is not about your five fundamentals. We take as important what God says as is important. Your religion is about God and his accomplishments. And so our conduct is important in that light. Our religion is not first about morality. You are Christians, saved by grace, changed from the very bottom of your being that we might be reverent and fearful in our conduct as a result of the holy work of Christ on the cross. 
Our religion is about Christ, and we have faith in him. So do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Reverently live for him. Call important what he calls important. If it is in scripture, it is so much gold. Call trivial what he calls trivial. Reverence his name on your lips, in your mind, and in your conduct, especially as you take your oaths and fulfill your oaths. But especially we exalt our Yahweh through trust in his Son and the entire triune God and his names and works. Let us end with Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, exalting Christ Jesus. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. May that day come quickly. Let us go to him in prayer. O Lord. Yahweh, triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we repent before you that we have made important things which are indeed trivial, that we have not taken from your word the reverent attitude that we often ought or always ought to have. But Lord, we have instead focused upon trivialities, focused in reading your word upon our mere interests or upon other people or upon other things than what you hold dear. Lord, how often we have made scripture about us and not about you in your glory, not about you in your name. Lord, we have not feared you as we ought, but we so fear others. Lord, forgive us of our fear of man. We pray that when we take your word into our hands, and we take your name upon our lips, that we would do so with the utmost reverence. Lord, that when we come to worship you on your Lord's Day, that we would come prepared to do such a great thing as to be in the presence of the Almighty, to, to speak to you and to have you speak to us. Lord, we pray that you would remind us of our oaths, that we might not be a, become a byword to all the nations for how we do not show you, as we are not a light unto the nations as we ought to be. But above all else, Lord, we pray that you would exalt the name of Christ and all his work within our hearts, as he has the name that is above all names. Lord, we thank you that he is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and he is coming soon. That, Lord, we might worship him and reverently have our time with him and even now, we trust, we trust in him and place all of our guilt upon him. We thank you, Lord, for the work of Christ. May we trust in him, and we pray. In the, name of, in the name, the matchless name, the great and holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.